Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places. If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. But I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. Uh, wines, I find them extremely helpful in, ha in helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go in the air, deep right center go. field. Two run, home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two run, home run, David Dahl. Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. You know they've got 17 Colorado locations. You also know that you can go online to mygreensolution.com. Use the promo code DNVR20 to get 20% off. Use that TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out of there in minutes. Let's jump into the show. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman, the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. And on today's episode, we're going to do one of my favorite things in the entire world. We're going to be discussing Rymel Tapia. Uh, my initial plan was actually to do the Freeland episode immediately after doing the John Gray episode as a kind of juxtaposition of, obviously they had two very different years. Uh, and I figured in general, I would go back and forth between players who had more positive seasons and players who had more negative seasons. Uh, but I also, it, it occurred to me that I, I I believe I'm going to have an opportunity to speak with Kyle this offseason. I figure it would be best to save that for that episode. Uh, then it really will serve as a nice juxtaposition 
to the conversation that we had with John Gray. So in lieu of doing that, I, I figured I would just go straight to one of the players who I, I know the best. I Obviously, I know his stat sheet quite well uh, and, and have for a very long time. I figured we would just jump into uh, the past, present, and future of Rymel Tapia, who this season turned 25 years old. He will play uh, the 2020 season at age 26, but he still has not accumulated a ton of big league playing time. It really does uh, feel like this last season was his first real full-on workload at the big leagues, and the stats uh, pretty much back that up. He played 138 games in 2019 of the total 255 that he has played in his career. We've talked a lot about what this means. I guess our working thesis statement for this episode, and I've gotten the question a number of times from a number of people, and so sorry I can't give you all individual shout-outs, but many of you have said... So what did we learn about Tapia this year? Or did he make it? Is is he the guy? What do we really know about him? And we've even had one person in the comments section on thednvr.com. Make sure you subscribe and, and go engage in the conversation there. Uh, and this person is just not sold and points out rightly that Tapia has a negative 0.9 War and generally has been a, a negative war player in his career. He does not hit for power. He does have issues both defensively and on the bases. And, and these are all things that I think most people are aware of. And we'll get back to the defense and, and base running conversation a little bit, the power thing, though, honestly, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I, I just don't think the, the young man is... I don't know that it's best for his game to be trying to hit for power, but we'll return to that as well. The difficulty here is that Rymel Tapia is now a player whose primary skill is one that has become less and less valued by a lot of people in the game of baseball. Not necessarily everybody. I would say not necessarily by me. And I think that there are actually, oddly enough, a decent number of DJ LeMayhew comparisons that you could make with them being more slappy contact hitters designed to use more of the field and that being underrated in general and then being especially underrated when you do it at Coors Field. But, well, let's get into what he's done so far and then dive into what it's fair to expect and why it looks like the Rockies probably are counting on him to get a decent number of starts next season. So uh, one of the things that I think is always worth remembering going back is that Ramel Tapia came into the Rockies organization as a 16-year-old all the way back in 2011, playing a couple of years in the Rockies Dominican League. 
He played 67 games at that young age and uh, just kind of was getting his feet wet. That's the first year, or I'm sorry, that's the only year for a very long time in which he would not have more hits than games played in. For a while, that was one of my big stats for him was noticing that he almost always had more hits than games played in. He would do that the next year in the Dominican in 2012 when he had 75 hits to 63 games played in for a 316 batting average. And again, I get that some people really aren't into batting average as a statistic anymore. And I, I understand why that's the case, but I also think that you have to judge players to some degree. I mean, you also have to understand relative value on the field as well. But if a guy is built to hit for average, part of the problem with stats like WRC plus or OPS plus is that they're expecting your ability to get base hits to eventually go away. It's it's expecting that you're getting a little bit lucky. And so you can maybe take a look at a guy like Tony Walters. And when we get into his episode, we'll talk a little bit about some of the specific adjustments he made that led to a higher batting average, but almost no chance at slugging. And talk about whether or not that's something that Rymal Tapia should legitimately consider, despite the fact that we're in this age of launch angle and you know massive home run totals. And we'll see what Major League Baseball does with the ball. It looks like there's uh, one that's much, much less juiced, if you will, that's being used in the postseason here. But as far as Ryan Maltapia goes, it would be one thing if, like Walters, he'd come out of kind of nowhere to put up this really decent batting average. But he's always been this type of hitter. And so as we go through it here, 2013, he makes his stateside debut Long-time listeners or even just semi-regular listeners of this podcast probably remember that's the year that I first got my eyes on him. I was one of the first people to report that I thought he could be something. Probably had something to do with the fact that he hit 357 that year, 92 hits in 66 games. And they weren't cheap ones either. He was really hitting the ball hard at one point. He had something like a 27 or 29 game hit streak, breaking a record that David Dahl had set just the year before. Uh, but he was an absolute hitting machine that season. Uh, and then he basically worked his way up at one level each year and continued to do the same basic thing. Never quite as dominant as he was that year in Grand Junction, but in 2014 in Asheville, he had 157 hits in 122 games for a 326 batting average. In 2015, moved up to what would have still been the Modesto Nuts high A team at the time. He got 166 hits in 131 games for a 305 batting average. Uh, the next year, he moved up to double A. I believe they were the Hartford Yard Goats by then. He got, oh, I lost it there. Where was it? Double A. Oh, because he moved up that year. That, that's why it was on two lines. So he got 137 hits in 140 games for a 323 average. Then he moved up to AAA halfway through that year in 2016 and continued to stay even hotter. In 24 games, he had 36 hits for AAA for a 346 batting average and made one more jump up to the major leagues to make his debut in 2016. But he only had 10 hits in 22 games. Not bad for your first 
uh, little grouping of games, a 263 batting average in the major leagues, only 11 strikeouts over his uh, 41 plate appearances. But uh, that was something that he would start to struggle with just a little bit as he came into his major league career, something he really didn't throughout the minors. He had super low strikeout rates. I'll, I'll get back to those specific numbers here in a moment. In 2017, uh, he sort of bounced back and forth between AAA and the major leagues as the Rockies needed him to. He was key for uh, a one-month stretch in the summer. I believe it was June when he hit really well for the team, needed to step in and do some things when some guys went down with injury. But when they came back, uh, he was sent back down to AAA. And, and this was sort of the plan for him coming into 2017. And I think it was you know, pretty easily justifiable. He hit really, really well in AAA that year, just like obscenely well in 58 games. He had a 369 batting average. That's 97 hits over 58 games. So every time he went back down to AAA, he would just rake and then he'd get called back up to the major leagues and he'd do all right, but never really did, you know, settle into regular at-bats, was often used off the bench, but did start figuring out how to contribute in that role, something that he's actually started to do really well, oddly enough. That year, though, that that was pretty much what was expected, that Tapia was going to be on that sort of back and forth, and he earned himself a a spot on the postseason roster when the Rockies went down there uh, for the wild card game in Arizona, got a base hit in that game, uh, and, and was playing well enough down the stretch. He also had a big game uh, in L.A. when they went out there and, and swept the Dodgers. It seems like so long ago that that happened in 2017. But he finished the year really strong. And so what happened in 2018, I think, is where a lot of fans really start scratching their head with both him and the organization uh, just a little bit here. And and I totally understand why that would be the case. Because in 2018, he played 105 games at the AAA level, mostly because Carlos Gonzalez and Gerardo Parra were healthy and mostly playing well. There, There's absolutely arguments to be had over that. I don't want to rehash all of them. Um, Ian Desmond oftentimes got mixed up in this too, but it's actually not an outfield situation. If you, you'll recall, in 2018, Ian Desmond was playing first base. And so as far as Rymal Tapia is concerned, it really was a matter of giving preference to the veterans of Carlos Gonzalez and Gerardo Parra. Cargo started the season really, really strong and fell off really hard by the end, which is um, part of what really fueled the fire that the Rockies hadn't done more to get Tapia some experience that year, just kind of letting him sit around in AAA, where again, he picked up 131 base hits in 105 games for a 302 batting average. So that's a lot of years in a row where Tapia just had more hits than games played in. Uh, finally did get a, a couple of looks in 2018, but he wasn't very good. He didn't perform Uh, As I understand it, there were also some concerns over some attitudinal issues that he wasn't real happy about not making the team out of spring training. Um, I believe he was behind Mike Tauchman. I'd have to go back and look. And and he was not happy about it. And he got ejected from some games. I remember seeing all of that film. 
But either way, I think he was very clearly frustrated. And then when he would come up to the major leagues, uh, he did not perform especially well. He had seven strikeouts uh, to only five hits in 27 plate appearances in 2018. Of course, the one real bright, shining, differentiating moment for him was uh, the pinch hit grand slam against the Arizona Diamondbacks off of Archie Bradley that pretty much sank the Diamondbacks and was a huge part of strapping a rocket onto the Rockies as they finished the season incredibly strong and, uh, you know, did go out there and win the wild card game in Chicago eventually. So he played a, a pretty big role in that Um in that one at bat, if nothing else, but it was a disappointing season. And I think there's fair criticisms all the way around that the Rockies maybe didn't handle Tapia very well, that they should have found other ways to get him some at bats throughout the season. So then in those moments when they did need him, they could have gotten more out of him Uh, at the same time, you know, Tapia didn't, it sounds like handle the, not really a demotion, but being sent back to AAA, I think he really thought 2018 after he did spend 17 back and forth and back and forth, um, but still more games at the big league level. He played 70 games at the big league level in 2017, so to drop that down to 25 and you know only 27 plate appearances at the big league level uh, where he had a 200 batting average, as I mentioned, just the five hits, just very untopia-like, very frustrating season for him. But then this year, opportunities opened up, uh, oftentimes because of injuries to other players, but he was able to jump in there and show the team that what he could do was really starting to translate at the big league level. He didn't start strong, so ultimately he didn't have more hits than games played in, but he, he got pretty darned close for the first time he's ever played 138 games in a season. The most he'd ever had before that was 131 back at high A in 2015. Um, 138 games played in. He picked up 447 plate appearances at the big league level this year. That's extremely valuable. Again, 447 of his 686 big league plate appearances this year. He got 117 hits. Most of those singles, but he did have 23 doubles, three, I'm sorry, five triples, nine home runs. He knocked in 44 runs. He drew 21 walks. He did start to walk a little bit more by the end of the season. Uh, But now let's get back to the other side of that coin that we were talking about. He struck out too much for a guy with his profile. He struck out 22% of the time and only walked 4.7% of the time. If you're going to be slappy hitter guy and I absolutely think that that's who he can and should be and that he can be extremely valuable there I think there's another 30 40 50 points of batting average that you can get out of Tapia if he can start putting up peripherals closer to what he did in the minors now he never did walk a lot you can go back here and here are his walk rates in the United States starting from when I first saw him way back in 2013 5.2 percent 6.5%, 4%, 5.5%, 4.5%, 6.5%, 4 6.5%, 4.5%, 4.7%, 4.7%, 6.8%, 7.4% last year in those 25 games is as high, but that's a small sample size. You'd assume that'd come down. So a 4.7% walk rate for Tapia this season is pretty much 
right along the lines of what he's done before in his career and kind of understandable for a guy who doesn't hit for a ton of power because pitchers are only going to be so careful with you. What's sort of frustrating to to watch happen if you want to believe in his ability to continue to hit for average is the strikeout percentage starting again in 2013 10.8% that was never he was never going to only strike out 10% of the time probably but for a guy who's as free a swinger as he is but 10.8 16.7 17.7 then another 10.7 in in double A in 2016 he had a 10.7, uh, a 10.9 in AAA. Then his rookie season, a 26.8% strikeout rate. You figure, okay, yeah, he's a little little bit overwhelmed by big league pitching. He'll bring that down. But then uh, he had a 15.2% rate in AAA over 58 games in, in 2018. I'm sorry, 2017. And then a 21.1% rate back at the big league level. So you're going, okay, maybe big league pitchers have got him figured out a little bit. Uh, but then you see a little bit of a trend, too, in 2018. Now, remember, he was having a bad year. Uh, he was frustrated just being in the minors, but he did strike out 18% of the time. That's a, a big jump from some of these 10s. And even the 15 he had done at AAA before, in 105 games, he struck out 18% of the time. And then when he got brought up to the big leagues, 25% of the time. And then this year, in 2019, he struck out 22.4% of the time. If he can get that under 20%, he can raise his batting average from the 275 he had this year to a, a 285, 290 hitter. And with the speed he has, and I do think he's getting better on the bases and in the outfield, I think that's going to play. I think that's going to help your team, especially if he can manage to do it consistently, which has been his big calling card and again, why you've got to take numbers like a 78 WRC plus, uh, 73 WRC plus these last couple of years with a big grain of salt, because to some degree, what they're suggesting to you is that, well, you can't expect him to continue to have a good batting average, but it's always been what he does. And it's always been on purpose. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. And so now that we're seeing the same stuff translate, like I said, that the, there is a big question mark around that strikeout number. And it's fair for anyone who wants to say, well, it hasn't really translated until he gets the strikeout totals down. Because as long as the strikeout total is up, that's going to put a cap basically on what you can expect out of his bat because he's not going to hit for power and 275 out of a contact guy in this day and age, it isn't super exciting. It, the speed can get you excited, and, and if he can start playing better uh, in the outfield. But the biggest thing for me, like I said, is that the Rockies don't have that guy who's the consistent pain in the ass, and he just he doesn't go into hitting slumps. Raimel Tapia, when he gets regular at-bats, almost never goes into hitting slumps. So we'll talk about why I think the team is higher on Tapia than maybe some people would think based on the way that, for example, as we went over, they treated him in 2018. And why 
I really do think it makes sense to consider him as an integral part of the offense moving forward. We'll do that after a quick break. Welcome back into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Talking Ryan Altapia on today's episode. And, you know, there I've talked before about how there have been a lot of signs that kind of got lost in the shuffle as the Rockies just completely fell out of contention uh, as the 2019 season got away from them entirely. But there were some things that philosophically showed me that the Rockies are going to be heading in different directions for the 2020 season. And a lot of it pertains to Rymel Tapia. His injuries at the end of the season could not have come at a worse time. We talked about how he already got, you know, more games played and more played appearances than he had in years. And certainly by far at the big league level, but he still wasn't able to make it the full season and probably most frustratingly for him, he wasn't able to show them that he could maybe even take over in center field and at the leadoff spot, which was something they were going to try out for the final month. And, and really that never got off the ground except for the center field thing for about a week after David Dahl went down. But even in that, and it might have, I think it might have been longer than that. I think it might have been a couple. Of but I've talked to a lot of people in and around the organization, and 
they were very, very happy with the way Tapia performed this year. We talked earlier about the attitudinal issues from a year ago. There was none of that. He talked to us, particularly to Patrick Lyons, about his own maturity earlier this season. If you're a subscriber, you can read that story. We'll have plenty more with Rymel Tapia moving forward. I, I truly do believe because of this issue, back to the John Gray episode, there's a human being at play here who had some maturity things that he needed to figure out, and he had some baseball things that he needed to figure out, and he's probably still got to do a lot of work in both of those areas. Uh, uh, don't we all? Uh, but he finally got that opportunity, and he didn't make the absolute most of it, but I do think he won his coaches over. I think he won his teammates over. I think, you know, anyone in the organization who is a big doubter, and there were a lot of them, just like there are people outside the organization who have always been big doubters in Ryan Tapia. And I've always been kind of banging the drum over on the other side. But I've understood why there were people who never thought he'd play in the big leagues, why there were people who never thought he'd get past double A, why, you know, they they thought he was just going to be another dime a dozen slappy, skinny contact guy who once he ended up facing better pitching, couldn't get it done. And one of the things that I saw out of him this year was really good at bats against the likes of Max Scherzer, who he got a hit off, Zach Granke, who he hits well, uh, Justin Berlander. I see him in games where nobody else in the Rockies lineup is making anything happen, and he's causing problems. He's out there being what I always saw him as in the minors. And this is like the general thing that I feel like has always gotten missed with him. The, the term spark plug is almost a bit misleading. Rymal Tapia is a, a a chaos maker, a a nightmare to deal with as an offensive player when he is locked in because, it was as we talked about, when he gets back to not striking out as much, especially when he starts laying off of that stuff and recognizing a little bit better on the big league stuff, everything else he can do is really, really frustrating for the pitcher, for the defense and he finds his way aboard and yeah he'll have the at-bats where he swings at the first pitch and rolls it over to the second baseman and you're just scratching your head but he has shown that against the very best in the world he can do the types of things that he did in the minors and that even includes the run scoring ability this is something that I've talked about a lot uh, that often gets lost in the shuffle, but he can score a lot of runs once he gets on base and had 54 runs scored for the Rockies this year, despite still having a bit of a, a truncated season. Compare that to the 44 runs knocked in. Once he's on base, it's tough to keep him from coming all the way around and scoring, especially if you've got anything uh, close to a competent off offense around him. And, 
you know, if you put him in a spot like first, or would they consider batting him ninth and, and batting the pitcher eighth at, at times? That could be really interesting. But, or even just in a lineup that has more regular speed elements, if there's more at-bats for Garrett Hampson, whatever it may be, there are a lot of opportunities for Ryan Tapia's growing skill set and, and growing understanding of how to best employ his skill set at the big league level can be used uh, to the Rockies' benefit next season. At the very least, I think he's got to be an intriguing you know, fourth outfielder candidate. Uh, obviously, he would be frustrated by that. He wants to get those at-bats. I think as it stands right now, he's the front runner to be the starting left fielder with Dahl in center and Charlie Blackman in right. I think it makes sense that Sam Hilliard needs a bit more seasoning. I don't think they want to lock Garrett Hampson into one or the other of an outfield or infield role unless they absolutely have to. We know things happen, injuries happen, and all of that. And that's one of the reasons why it's worth remembering. Yeah, the Rockies have a little bit of, you know, you could argue extra talent in the outfield. It's one place they definitely have some depth, but depth is a good thing. That doesn't necessarily mean, I've argued before why it would make sense to trade either Toppy or Hilliard, but it also would make sense to keep both of those guys because it's entirely possible you're going to need both of them. Especially because we have no idea what the role of Ian Desmond is going to be moving forward, if anything at all. So I do think that Tapia's yet to really get close to his ceiling. But to get back to the thesis question at the beginning, yeah, I do think he's shown you that the bat is going to play. Whether it plays to a level or a type that you like is going to be up to each individual to decide for themselves whether or not there's value in this day and age or for the Colorado Rockies specifically to put a guy in their lineup who's not going to hit for a ton of power and is going to be some question marks in all of these other areas. the, The risk you're taking there is in my extrapolation upon everything else he's done that says he tightens it up a bit. He becomes a 300 hitter who's that much more dangerous because of the dimensions of Coors Field, because he can stretch singles into doubles, doubles into triples to get a little extra slugging out of his bat and do things on the bases. You hope he gets more, more and, I was going to say smarter. That's that's not quite right. Sometimes it's just like certain jumps, that, and, and sometimes it is being smarter. But in talking to the coaches and players around him, they've been very pleased with the effort he's put in in all of these areas, and they say they, they see market improvement, particularly on defense. And that's a big deal because the metrics also really like his defense. He's got the good speed. He's got a good arm. He's got the athleticism. If he's going to play up for you, defensively and you do know that you've got one outfielder in Charlie Blackman who's aging and another outfielder in David Dahl who's got an injury history and then Hilliard and Hampson while they're really intriguing options are also 
Hampson's very, very new to playing outfield. And, you know, we're looking at one good month for him. And Hilliard as well, we're looking at one good month. And less time in center field, though a lot of good signs there. Those guys are much rawer than Raimal Tapia, who's had to run through this entire ringer that we've described today and and has a lot of experience now at the big league level and has played in the postseason and has played in some really important games and is on the upward trajectory. And so I, I think it makes sense to give him every opportunity at the start of next season. And if he doesn't come out and hit well, if he's striking out 25% of the time and he's hitting 260, uh, that's just not going to cut it. And at that point, you can start to look at moving on to Hilliard if he's hitting well in AAA or if Hampson is making his bat an absolute must-have in the lineup and the handful of at-bats he's getting here and there, then you can make that move and probably just have to move on from Rymel Tapia at that point or, or see what value you can get out of him as a fourth outfielder. But I think the right thing to do is to have him there both as insurance for the other guys and as somebody who really can break out for your club as he enters into his physical prime. I think he'll hit double-digit home runs next season, uh, but I, especially if he's able to get the at-bats. This year is really the only year he's ever had injury problems. Everybody out there, knock on wood, but he's been remarkably durable throughout his career. That's another thing that's always been a plus on his resume. So it's worth keeping all of that in mind. It, Like I said, I, I understand why anyone would advocate trading Tapia or moving on from him. I understand why the Rockies would probably consider doing that, but I also understand why the most likely scenario is that he's the Rockies' starting left fielder in 2020, and despite the fact that he's not launch angle guy who's going to hit 20 or probably even 15 home runs, uh, he may end up being one of the driving engines of the Rockies offense, especially because I think there's his consistency, the fact that he just doesn't slump very often, even with the strikeouts, he still hasn't gone into a four-game hitting slump ever, ever. And the, through road, home, whatever, he's a stabilizing factor for an off, which is a weird thing to say for a guy who's so kind of uh, provocative in his general uh, offensive and everything he does out there on the diamond is very you know elaborate and fun and energetic and exciting, but in a way. He actually is one of the more stable hitters. Like Nolan goes into his slumps. Charlie didn't very much this year. He started in a slump at the beginning of the season, but for the rest of the time, was pretty consistent. Trevor goes into his slumps. Um, obviously, some of the other guys out there are more slump than not. Uh, you know, we're we're still learning about McMahon and is he a slump or not slump guy? Uh, but Tapia's just never, ever been a slump guy. He had three times in his minor league career where he went three straight games without a hit. Three times. In hundreds and hundreds of games, thousands of at-bats, he only went three straight games without a hit. Three times. 
the hangover effect and everything else and just how difficult it is sometimes for the Rockies to know what they're going to get out of anybody on a day-to-day basis. You, you may you may not always love exactly what you get out of Rymal Tapia, but you know what you're going to get and you're always going to get it and there is value in that. So thank you all for listening into this. These have been fun. Uh, hopefully we'll have a lot more to come throughout the offseason. We'll be able to get Patrick Lyons involved in a couple of them. I'll have to ask him, see which ones he'd like to sit on. And hopefully we can get a couple more interviews for you as well. Have the guys talk uh, to you themselves about their years. Obviously, that wasn't going to happen here with Tapia not speaking a ton of English. He speaks a lot more. Uh, he's learning a lot more. Uh, he certainly speaks more English than I speak Spanish. That's 100% for sure. Uh, but yeah, he was probably not going to come on and do this. But anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. Make sure you're following us on the social media at DNVR underscore Rockies, at Drew Creaseman at Patrick D. Lyons. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on Facebook, whatever podcast app you happen to be using out there. Subscribe to DNVR so you don't miss any of our exclusives. And make sure you're just continuing to be absolutely awesome. I promise you that I will make sure to continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. You all know how supporting local business is in our blood. And that's why we're super excited to tell you about Denver Rubber Company. And it may not be what you think it is. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing, and custom hoses. And guess what? Snow is coming, and we've already had a taste of it. You'll need Denver Rubber Company when it comes to anything snow plows. DRC can cut to size and pre-slot most snow plow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length, and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked out their warehouse a few weeks back, and it was nothing short of amazing. These guys have created proprietary materials that make up the inside of wind turbine blades, and we even witnessed machines that cut material that is used in bulletproof vests. Remember, Denver Rubber Company custom makes it all. They're a family-owned business with loyalty only to the people, just like us here at DNVR. Be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr and tell them who sent you. Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places.